Welcome to the Health Longevity Secret Show, and I'm your host, Dr. Robert Lufkin. It's exciting that more and more programs are becoming available to treat and yes, even prevent Alzheimer's disease. Today, we speak with two of the pioneers in this area about the program that they have. Dr. Dean Scherzai is co-director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University. Dean trained in neurology at Georgetown University School of Medicine and completed fellowships in neurodegenerative diseases and dementia at the National Institutes of Health and UC San Diego. He also holds a PhD in healthcare leadership. Dr. Aisha Surishai is a neurologist and co-director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University, where she leads the Lifestyle Program for the Prevention of Neurological Diseases. She completed a dual training in preventative medicine and neurology at Loma Linda University and a fellowship in vascular neurology and epidemiology at Columbia University. She is also a trained plant-based culinary artist. And now, Drs. Dean and Aisha Surjai. Hey, Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here and uh, to be connected. You're doing uh, amazing work and love to be part of the community. Yeah, I, I, I've been so looking forward to this day. I'm, I'm a big fan of your book uh, that you and Asia wrote on the Alzheimer's solution. I also uh, follow your podcast, the Brain Health Revolution podcast, and we'll put that in the show notes and we could talk about that you know, a little later in the, in the show as well. But one thing I'm, I'm excited about, I think you and I uh, share a common vision of, of educating people to the possibilities of, of preventing Alzheimer's disease through lifestyle and other changes. And, and in, in the program, we hear, we're, we're hearing from many speakers with, and some of them vary on the particular implementation of the lifestyle choices, but I think the important consensus is now that experts are agreeing that lifestyle matters and can have a significant effect in preventing this, this challenging disease. Yeah. So before, before we dive into that, maybe we could just take a moment and you could tell us a little bit about how you came to be so interested in this fascinating area. Yeah, so um, usually it's my wife and I, we're both uh, here uh, talking. She has, uh, uh, she had another commitment, but she'll, she's part of this community always. We met, um, I, I did my work at Georgetown University I, um, and, and then I did two years of fellowship at NIH um, doing some really wonky research in building 10 where you uh, put in uh, BDNF and GDNF into the brain stems and into the basal ganglia and and all kinds of clinical trials. In 2002, I was asked to go to Afghanistan for a short stint to help reconstruct the country. That turned into a three-year project. I, I helped to reconstruct the healthcare system. And that's where my wife, who had gone back with Doctors Without Borders, we met in a conversation. And 20 years later, we see that that whole thing kind of unraveled. But but uh, our conversation was about um, our grandparents. Both of us had two amazing, probably most brilliant people we've ever met and um, uh, who had Alzheimer's and end of life. And, and we saw these people who were proud of their mind, their, their capacity, their, their relationship with the world, just start losing bits and pieces of themselves in front of the world, which was the most demoralizing thing to see. 
especially in retrospect, especially now knowing the disease. But even then I felt it. One of the stories I give is, um, I remember uh, we, my, my uncles are all surgeons. I'm, I'm the only neurologist because whenever the, the, all the doctors would get together, they would talk about the brain. So I got interested and, and we would go to this hunting lodge and thank goodness for the animals. Uh, surgeons make terrible hunters. We almost never got anything. And we would, uh, then we would gather in the house in the middle of this huge uh, farm um, that we would go to on the weekends. And my grandfather would be at the center and he would be playing chess. This is in Frederick, Maryland uh, or Virginia. And, and we would be sitting there and he would be playing chess with everybody. And he was so brilliant that he, everybody was on one side He went, and he would beat everybody. But this one time I remember him saying, all of a sudden pausing. And I remember that vacant look and saying, how do you move that piece? And it was a knight. And for those who play chess, they know the knight is a little quirky move. And, and that, just took everybody by surprise as shock. And, and that moment we saw then from there on small incremental losses of self. And that was devastating. And, and I went through medical school and everything, never knowing why I'm going that direction and in retrospect, oh, that was the driving factor. For my wife, it was the same thing. Her grandfather, brilliant, brilliant man, same kind of a situation. And we see this over and over again from household to household. We have 6 million Americans right now suffering from Alzheimer's. That's Alzheimer's. Dementia is the umbrella category. Dementia is when your cognition is affected to the point where you can't do one of your daily activities, such as driving or finances or cooking. It's affected. That's dementia, but it's umbrella category. But there are many types of dementias. Alzheimer's is the biggest category. 60 to 70% of all dementias is Alzheimer's. And it's the fastest growing epidemic in America and in the Western world, for that matter. It's number one cause of mortality, morbidity in UK, number one in, in Japan and a lot of Europe and number three in US and is growing fast. And up to now, the only approach we've had to it was pharmaceutical, as if we could actually target a molecule and get rid of the disease. After hundreds of billions of dollars of spending, we have zero success. In fact, even the latest drug that was approved by FDA, which is very controversial because uh, the, the effect was overrated, over, overstated, and now it's being challenged. It, we have nothing. Yet when we, my wife and I, when we came back, we looked into the data, we started doing research. We went to UCSD, which was the number one neuroscience program in the country at the time. We started working there and from there to Loma Linda, which is the only blue zone or healthiest place in the, in the world to study those relationships. And what we saw over and over was that there's an alternative path. There's an alternative way to do this other than just using one pill to get rid of the disease, which hasn't worked. There is evidence for prevention. There's profound evidence for prevention. And that just excited us so much that we left everything and and uh, some of our mentors said, this is suicide going you know, from UCSD, you could pick your, especially in neuroscience, you could pick your spot. We said, we want us to study prevention. And that's where we are. And uh, that's what we've been doing for the last 15 years. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think we, we, we all come from, you and I uh, come from a, and, and Asia come from a traditional medical background uh, from medical schools and that sort of thing where, where we studied individual diseases and, and, the system has 
become effective more or less at treating things with, with drugs or surgery, or in few cases, radiation therapy, but there's, we're always looking for a pill or a fix for something. And, and basically every chronic disease that we've encountered, you know, obesity, diabetes, heart attacks, stroke, uh, even in cancers, there's, there's always been something that, that worked a little bit at least, but what is it about Alzheimer's, you know, as you pointed out, what is it about this disease that it's caught, you know, we've had the greatest minds, the greatest medical minds in the world have been applying themselves to this with essentially, as you say, unlimited financial resources, billions of dollars spent on developing drugs. And like you say, as far as any kind of treatment that's effective, we failed. So why, why is, what is it about Alzheimer's? So often, um, just because a large group of people, very, very intelligent people are working on something, it doesn't mean that you're you're hitting the right target. Uh, our living room is pretty unique. Actually, our dining room uh, is not a dining room. It's a whiteboard that all the walls are painted white. So I have two kids, a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old, and they're writing on the walls, and there's a ping pong table, and now we just got darts, a dartboard, a plastic rubber. But, but um, I'm, I'm so talking about precision and accuracy, you can be very precise, but not accurate. You could be hitting the same little spot very effectively because you have incredible tools, but the the spot you're hitting is not the bullseye. That's what we've been doing. We've We've been working on eliminating amyloid and tau, which is important. By the way, I'm going to take a step back. The way we approach lifestyle medicine is not like a lot of lifestyle docs or these uh, the functional docs that say, uh, you know, throw the baby out with the, bo- uh, you know, bathwater. Oh, all of medicine is bad and pharmaceuticals don't work and cholesterol lowering medicine. No, that's, that's wrong. They work. They have their place. And, and uh, molecular research definitely has its place. But what we've missed is 80% of, of medicine, which is prevention. I'm using that arbitrarily, but it's pretty close. Uh, significant is prevention. And we have not focused on that. And what that does is when you're working on the acute, on the molecular, a lot of times you're missing the bullseye. You're, you're very accurate. And we, we had these um, uh, antibodies that eliminated amyloid, which is this protein that's associated with Alzheimer's and tau. We, 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 enzyme, we used enzymes to get rid of it. We used um, uh, nutrients to get rid of it. We, we used the uh, antibodies to get rid of it. We even used sound wave and light wave and all, you know, how we get quirky. It's not, when, when we get really on the edge, it's sound waves and, 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 and helmets and all kinds of stuff. We used everything at hundreds of billions of dollars and we got rid of it. They work, but never got rid of disease because that's not for the majority. It's not the cause of the disease. It's an outcome. It's a process. It's an intermediary. The disease is a long-term disease. It's long-term cumulative damage, which the healthcare system or research system is not designed to take on. The research system is designed to take on one molecule for a short period of time, because even that's going to cost millions, right? Do you expect to take on a chronic disease of 20, 30 years with multiple variables? That's going to cost Trillions. So the, the research system at NIH or National Science Foundation or others are not, you know, in a, a position to take on these kind of chronic diseases. Now with Alzheimer's, there are those types where genes determine outcome, like Huntington's disease. In Huntington's disease, it's 
if you have this abnormality on chromosome four, sadly, we know the person is going to get it. And in fact, by how many repeats of that molecule, we know when they're going to get it. That's how predictive it is. And it's genetically driven, 100%. We say it's 100% penetrance. In Alzheimer's, there are Alzheimer's cases that are like that, driven 100% by genes. But guess what? They constitute 3% of all Alzheimer's. Those genes are presenilin-1, presenilin-2, and APP. 3% of all Alzheimer's. The rest of Alzheimer's is the interplay of genes and genetic risk and environment and, and lifestyle. And, and now we have plenty of evidence that lifestyle has a bigger factor than anything else by far uh, by looking at people who had certain genes and yet they lived certain lifestyles and they, they did not get the disease. And we have repeats of that, those studies. So the problem has been that we haven't looked at the chronic long-term cumulative effect. And when you look at it that way, you see four processes as the down, uh, uh, downstream, uh, 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 sorry, upstream um, uh, causal phenomenon. It's inflammation, lifelong inflammation, oxidation, glucose dysregulation, and lipid dysregulation. And that's, there's other things as well, but those are the main four drivers. And for brain, there's one fifth one, how much you've used your brain, how much you've pushed your brain. That creates resilience, that creates connectivity. Those five factors. Now, what affects those five factors? Very simple. It's not a drug or anything. It's nutrition, exercise, stress, sleep, profoundly important, and mental activity. That's it. Those are the drivers. If we kind of focus on that, on, on creating a platform where you know what the most healthy and we, uh, you know, a way to approach those five factors for you, for your family, for your community is then we will have change healthcare completely overnight. And we are not even close to that. Even now, uh, even in lifestyle medicine, doctors who just found out about Alzheimer's and lifestyle, they're doing these clinical trials, 100 people, six months. And this is not only silly, it's, 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 it's harmful. You might get a, you might get a signal. You, you're going to find the signal because you're putting a million dollars into this study, but it doesn't mean it's real. But if you look at long-term studies, oh my goodness. When we first landed in Loma Linda, one of the studies in 1993 <clears throat> by Paul Guillaume was looking at people who ate meat, all meats, and no meat, and controlled for multiple variables. And, and what they saw was literally two times greater risk of Alzheimer's in those who ate meat. Just looking at that component, two times. Of course, now with epidemiological, I have a master's in epidemiology. I know the limitations and all that. And I know that <clears throat> the talk show hosts, they love saying epidemiology is not science. Well, it is science. It's a great science. There are different kinds of sciences, but the epidemiological data is just so powerful that it cannot be just brushed off. <clears throat> by, by saying it's not causality. You cannot determine causality in science, in reality, not even in physics, but you can create incredible correlation that's as good as causality. And so that was there. And then we saw <clears throat> other studies by, by in California teacher study and, and, uh, and, and um, um, uh, the Harvard Framingham study, not directly that the effect of nutrition was so profound. That's just nutrition. Quickly on causality. So 
the, the, you know, the classic thing, controlled prospective randomized clinical trial, would you accept that's causality or that's still getting a stronger association? Than- it's a strong association because there's no way. I mean, if anybody's done logistic regression, there's the outcome variable you chat, chat, checking. If, if you're doing a, ANOVA or MANOVA or, or something else, you can have multiple outcomes. And then you have the left side of the formula and how big your left side of formula is, is how accurate you are. And you think, oh, I have five variables, age, gender, education, all that, I'm good. No, there's no way that you know all the possibilities of other variables there. So there's no way you can absolutely determine causality. And then there's another problem with, with, with uh, randomized clinical trials. <clears throat> even double blind or triple blind, where even the pharmacy doesn't know. There's, there's, there's a problem. There's short term. Short term does not mean positive effect long term. There are many, many studies where short term they, they showed positive effect, but long term they have negative effect. I, I would venture to say that there's evidence that when we're talking about ketogenic diet, <clears throat> there's no study past six months. No study. I mean, no legitimate study. Yeah, you're going to get three people to do ketogenic diet. First of all, if anybody talks about ketogenic diet, please come to a keto ward in neurology department and see how a true ketogenic diet is, how difficult it is, and how impossible it is to maintain it long term. And here's the third factor, because I'm a public health person, how impossible it is to apply that to populations. I mean, if we're going to talk about things, we must also talk about how applicable it is for larger populations not just a population that has the money to buy the little kits in, in Beverly Hills. It has to be applicable for general bigger populations. So with that can said, can I push, just a question on that. So is the problem with um, ketogenic diets, like in practicality is that, I mean, if, if it seems like if you just reduce carbohydrates, people would go into ketosis, right? If they would re- reduce the carbohydrates in their diet, if they select foods, they could be plant-based, they could be animal-based. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. But, but just the, the energy balance uh, on the ketosis that people wouldn't be able to – wouldn't if, if they just eliminate carbs, it seems like that would – not eliminate, of course, but just lower the carbohydrate intake – uh, they would go into ketosis, right? They don't have to fast. They don't have to do anything, right? No, actually, it's a little more difficult than that. So the key, the carbohydrate has to be reduced significantly. I mean, compared mm-hmm. to what we as Americans eat, it's significant. Yeah. And, then the, and then you need another source of energy, don't you? Protein is not your primary source. And DNA or nucleic acids, so you have four macros, right? The nucleic acids, your DNA is not going to be your energy source. <laughs> you, don't, you definitely don't want that. The protein is not going to be your primary energy source. So there's two left, fat or carbs. So if you're reducing carbs, you're going to have to increase what? Fats. There's no other way. Uh, Otherwise, it's starvation. So if you're going to increase fats, let's say that you do get energy from that. Fats are the number one source of oxidative byproducts. Fats, especially saturated fats. Let me be a little more accurate. Um, uh, Saturated fats are a major source of inflammatory byproducts in the body. I mean, all ward studies, <clears throat> if you look at the ward studies, NIH ward studies, inflammation is a downstream product of that. So yes, initially you even fix the insulin resistance. I know that keto studies have shown that they helped with, uh, with insulin resistance. And they've shown that in, in cognitive studies, although the outcomes have been incredibly weak, there's a little bit of signal after six months. I'll, I'll give that. 
But where is the long-term studies that a keto diet has reversed Alzheimer's, has even prevented Alzheimer's or prevented cognitive decline long-term over one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, none, zero studies. I mean, if you look at the latest meta-analyses, by the way, those meta-analyses were not the best of meta-analyses, but let's just say. So there is a problem there. By the way, I'm completely um, <clears throat> open to all directions of science. If, if they tomorrow come back and say, uh, um, here's a ketogenic diet that reverses Alzheimer's perfectly and, and, and we can actually achieve it at population level, there's, there, I don't have a horse other than outcomes. But I definitely want to make sure that the trends of the week do not make science of, of, the, of the year. Um, and that's what happens with us a lot of times. Um, the, 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 the Joe Rogans of the world seem to be bigger drivers of science than the scientists at uh, in, in, in Rush University and in, in, in um, UCLA and, and, and other places. So it's critical that we approach it that way and be open to it. I mean, I, I still say that if we should continue doing studies on keto, both plant-based or non-plant-based, it doesn't matter, and, and see if there you can get a signal, a true signal, a meaningful signal that, that, that's been shown to be, uh, now, and then the second step is sustainability. But as far as <clears throat> the, coming back to our original um, uh, point, lifestyles affect on, on brain health, we, there's no doubt now. We were one of the first people to say that there's a possibility of preventing Alzheimer's and there was such a hoopla that uh, we, we got significant pushback. <clears throat> then a few years ago, an American uh, an Alzheimer's Association International Conference, the first pl the plenary talk was prevention is the new treatment, which was oh my gosh, okay, so we we're we're there now. So, but still, the controversy is: some people say thirty percent of Alzheimer's can be prevented. Some people say sixty percent. We say under optimal conditions for a protracted period of time, as much as ninety percent. But Ours is a, here's being a true scientist. I'm hoping that I, I keep myself accountable. <clears throat> That's an extrapolation, fairly accurate extrapolation, but still extrapolation. But the data as far as prevention is no longer questionable. Now the question is, how do we apply it to different communities? What do we agree upon? I mean, even now with nutrition, there's controversy. Ironically, with exercise, there's no controversy. You don't get many people saying, oh, don't exercise. That's as good as exercising. You don't people hear people saying, oh, no sleep is as good as sleep. Uh, but when it comes to food, I wonder why there is such profound controversy being made every single day. Isn't that crazy? I mean, at least <clears throat> at least at least we're having the conversation about yes. about lifestyle preventing Alzheimer's. So people are waking up to it. And yeah. and just touching my, back on what you said before. Preventing not only Alzheimer's disease, but the factors you mentioned, inflammation, those things, they're also now being identified as risk factors or drivers for heart disease, for stroke, for certain yes. cancers, and even longevity genes that, yes. you know, are they all tie back into this. So this lifestyle thing will have many benefits beyond potentially lowering your risk for Alzheimer's disease. It's, it's, it's amazing. The epigenetics, I'm, we're doing a meta-analysis, not, not, sorry, not meta-analysis, a comprehensive uh, review on, on uh, the uh, epigenetics of, of, of uh, um, uh, not just dementia, but um, neurological diseases. And uh, what, what's interesting is that whether it's methylation 
or glycosylation or all these processes that affect the gene expression, right? They're all the same. It's glucose dysregulation, lipid dysregulation, inflammation. So it's, it's wonderful. The one caveat or added thing for brain is the cognitive activity, the amount of cognitive activity. And I, and I would say that sleep is literally for the brain. Yeah, it affects other organs as well. But sleep was created for the purposes of this incredibly overpowered and overwhelmed uh, organ, three pounds, 2% of our body's weight, yet consuming 25% of our body's energy at any one point, it needed sleep. It needed, and we'll talk about that, why, why that's. Yeah, sleep. yeah, no, that's, that, that's great. And it, it's, and I mean, the, the one thing on nutrition that, at least I'm hearing from the, the people we, that we're speaking to is that they may disagree whether it's, uh, you know, high fat, low fat, uh, high carb, low carb, or, or different things uh, about the content of it. But one thing it seems like everybody agrees on is that sugar, <laughs> refined carbohydrates should be avoided no matter what what your dietary plan is. Everyone seems to agree on that. Sort of like the exercise thing. Exercise is good. Nobody disagrees. Nobody's saying we should eat sugar, except, you know, maybe the sugar lobby and yeah. that kind of thing. Sugar, yeah. sugar <laughs> should be avoided. Um, uh, processed carbs. Processed. Should, yeah. be, should be avoided. We say we add to that uh, a saturated fat. Uh, there's a big, big fight there. Whenever the, the one fight is the fat, isn't it? Which comes with meat, cheese, and butter, and, and all of that stuff, and 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 we say the reason. I mean, even if you don't agree with the fat, which is actually what we say is what bewilders us is if there's so much data on this side, uh, why is there so much resistance? At least there should be questioning, and then you realize that confirmation bias is the most powerful driving force in human existence. So therefore, uh, my, my favorite statement, I don't know who was it that said, um, people love hearing good news about their bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. You find something that confirms what they, <laughs> they want for, for sure. But yeah, that, th it, it's, it's so fascinating the way that, that we're seeing these, uh, these effects now. I always wonder, I always ask myself that coming from mainstream medicine, why are so many of our colleagues so reluctant to consider much less embrace lifestyle changes in the power of treating their patients. Why, why are we, why is there so much resistance here? I, I think um, it's, it's a, a, so we have our egos. I'm a, I'm a neurobehaviorist. So here comes some psychiatry. So, <laughs> sorry about that, but our egos are so bound to our, to what we do that this ship that that's huge ship that is medicine you know four years of college five years if you you know uh, uh four or five years of college four years of medical school four to seven years of residency uh, people like me the three fellowships then you know master's phd you by the time you're done it's like 20 years of investment in this ship <clears throat> this ship that never talks about lifestyle the closest you come to lifestyle is oh b12 deficiency or scurvy, or, you know, these kind of things. That's not lifestyle medicine. That's just saying avoid, you know, um, deficiency states cause those things. But no, no talk about lifestyle medicine. Definitely no talk about behavioral approaches to lifestyle medicine, none. 
And then somebody comes or a group of people come and say, oh, wait a second, there's something more important outside of that. That And, and these are not bad doctors. We're not bad doctors. We weren't bad doctors. But it's just that it, it becomes such a disheartening thing to know that you've built this ship, yet it doesn't even come close to painting you know, or, or showing the bigger picture. It, then what you do is either... So the, the natural way that people actually disregard things is you make fun of it, you you uh, you um, you belittle it, um, and you you ignore it. Um, but reality with truth, there's a video by um, uh, Stephen Pinker. Um, uh, so it's about reason. It's a brilliant, brilliant video. One of my favorite uh, philosophy videos. But uh, Stephen Pinker, people should go look at that. Once truth manifests, once it's truly manifest. It, yeah, it's it's pushed back, relegated, disregarded, but eventually it, it 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 comes to the surface. So now we know lifestyle medicine prevention is a reality, a massive reality. We're finding nuances. We're actually approaching the next stage, which is translation. Okay, we already agree. It's it's uh, for food. Uh, anything you do different from what you're doing now as a standard American diet, the SAD diet, is good. So we're not an all or none phenomenon, but we also don't like the concept of um, we, we, my, two words that we hate. One is motivation. It's a very arrogant yet not mathematical term. I can't, I can't operationalize things around motivation. There's no denominator. There's no numerator. There's nothing I can mathematically change from day to day. If I wake up one morning and I'm not motivated, what do I do? I just say, be motivated. That's not reasonable, especially if, if, if you're overwhelmed, if you have depression. So instead of motivation, it's systematic, measurable, achievable goals towards a direction. And the optimal is known, but that's not your goal. Your goal is the next step that you need to take that's measurable and achievable. And the beauty of that is when you do it and it's measurable and you achieve it and you check off that, that box, proverbial or real, that sets off your dopamine pathway, the reward pathway, the behavior pathway, the habit pathway. And that becomes not just a little motivation of the moment. It becomes personality over time. That's the beauty of doing it that way mathematically. The second word I hate is uh, moderation. Moderation is a word usually men use to get out of doing things. I grew up in Pittsburgh. I played soccer, tennis, football, you name it. I ate meat seven times a day plus beef jerky in, in the middle. So for me, what is moderation? Four times a day? Is that any better? Or if I had a bottle of cyanide in a day, what is moderation? Half a bottle? Moderation doesn't make sense for multiple reasons because it's not, again, measurable, meaningful. It's demotivating because you always, your goal is, let's say, losing weight. That never should be the goal, but, but let's say if that is the case. And then you say moderation and you keep failing because there's nothing tangible, measurable to achieve. So instead of moderation, no, my next step is to reduce sugar. First of all, I have to know how much truly am I getting of sugar, right? Because none of us really know because it's not just added sugar. It's the con how much am I getting? And in a smart way, reduce it. What is smart way? Specific for S for specific M for measurable, A for achievable, R for relevant to my higher goal and T time bound. So I'm going to reduce sugar. It's specific. I know what it, where, what it is and where it is. Measurable by 
achievable. Yeah, I can do that. I'm not going to do everything else. I'm not going to change. Oh, I'm not going to change my whole life. You know, I'm not going to go vegan or paleo or this or that overnight. Achievable. Relevant. Yes, it's relevant to my goal to be healthier and time bound for the next two months. By the way, sugar addiction is not going to be kicked in 21 days. I don't know where people got this 21 day thing. It's going to take a while. Sugar addiction is a powerful addiction. So in order to get rid of it, to change your taste buds, which takes time, it takes at least two to three months. And once you do that, you maintain that, you go to the next smart goal. I'm going to reduce my butter intake, if that is the thing for you, by 50%. And then 100% three months later, and so on and so on. Doing that, you're not reliant on amorphous failure-based models such as motivation and moderation. You're basing it on measurable, meaningful, tangible, dopamine-boosting behaviors. Yeah, I agree. That's a great approach. It's not just setting the goal for lifestyle, but actually having a method that works that the people can do. And and you you have a great program out there, both both uh, locally and I think it's available online. But it reading in your book, it, it you use a, a a beautiful mnemonic for it. It's called Neuro that N E U R O that. Uh, that allows you to approach the the lifestyle categories that need to be addressed. Maybe you could just walk us through that and uh, tell us more. um, Nutrition, um, by the way, all the elements in neuro are amenable to change over time. So our favorite thing in our house is to the best of our knowledge today. I think it's the only humble term in language. Everybody else pretends in humility, science lives it by saying to the best of our knowledge today. And, And what that means is that if it changes, that's not a weakness of science. That's a strength of science. I mean, we've built airplanes by not absolute knowledge. The concept of building, you know, building the plane while you're flying it. As humanity, we literally did that, you know, from a bi-wing plane to a single engine to now rockets that go 4,000 miles an hour. So to the best of our knowledge today, and, and we say strong data, that for nutrition and nutrition, it's whole food plant-based. Now, again, your next step is not that. Whole food plant-based is basically healthy vegan. Not vegan. Vegan can be very unhealthy. French fries are vegan and ho-hos are vegan. I mean, you name it. Coke is vegan. So it's it's a whole food plant-based. As, as close as you can. But you should take the next one step for the next three months. That's it. And then measurably change yourself. So that's nutrition. And the data on that, as far as cholesterol, as far as fat, as far as uh, uh, sugar, uh, sugar is, is just profound as, and saturated fat. And with nutrition, as far as vitamins, to the best of our knowledge today, we did the analysis, we did the reviews, we just submitted two papers, two um, comprehensive reviews, one on omega-3 and the developing brain and one on omega-3 and the aging brain. Um, you don't need vitamin supplements. But be extra aware of vitamin B12, everybody, not just vegans or this or that, everybody, because 41% of Americans have vitamin B12 deficiency. And B12 is very important. So what do I mean by being aware of it? Either eat fortified foods that have B12, take a vitamin B12 supplement because it's also water soluble, doesn't harm, or more appropriate, at least get your doctor to check your B12 level on a regular basis and then go from there. If it's on a lower side, supplement or eat more fortified foods. Um, the other vitamins, there's no data. Vitamin D, be a little more aware again. Larger percentage of people have vitamin D deficiency than we thought. 
sunlight is helpful, uh, but also foods that have uh, fortified it. So vitamin D and vitamin B12 have profound effect on your central nervous system, profound effect, even beyond central nervous system, on your blood and everything else, but especially central nervous system. So be aware of those two. And if you need to supplement, yeah, that's fine. But I'm not saying that's your first step. The other thing we found is that, and for this, we don't have strong evidence, but there are trends. And given that the only fat that the brain needs, and that's a, the only fat that the brain needs, you know, nowadays we hear this thing, oh, the brain has lots of fats or made of fat, therefore it needs fat. No, wrong, wrong, completely wrong. It doesn't get through your blood brain barrier. It actually destroys and damages your blood brain barrier. It affects your endothelial lining. We, we know the oxidation. We know what it does to mitochondria. So no, no, not fat. And by the way, your brain doesn't have storage fat. It's not like your stomach. There's no storage in your brain. It makes its own plenty of cholesterol, everything else from your liver and everything else. The only fat it needs is omega-3s, EPA, DHA. Be aware of your intake. If you're eating fish, there's evidence that fish is good. We don't eat fish for multiple reasons, but I, I can't, with, with, with good conscience, I can't say that there's no evidence that good fish, especially fatty fish, salmon and all, not tuna, avoid tuna, but salmon and all those smaller fish are good, fatty fish are good. But we worry that because fish are concentrators and we inconsistently check only two toxins, maybe three, um, mercury, lead, and the other 3,000 toxins that have been added to our water system, we never check. I worry in long term there might be harm. And the only benefit of fish appears to be from its omega-3 content. So if you're going to take a supplement, take a supplement. And we take supplements. And we, I don't push any supplements. I don't care what you take. Uh, we, we never worked with any companies that, that even come close to, um, to make, you know, because we want to stay, keep the science clean from the marketing side of things. So yeah, omega-3, uh, uh, is important for both the developing brain. By the way, that's when the brain is develop, developing the fastest from pre-birth up to age 21, your brain is still developing, uh, twenties, early twenties. And then the aging brain, and it's up to you to determine when you think the aging brain is, but the data shows anything above 45 to 50, you might need omega-3s to help. Um, so we take supplements, uh, uh, omega-3 supplements. So that's basically it. Beyond that, there's no evidence, CoQ10 and this or that, or none of that stuff is, is um, evident. Um, so that's nutrition. Uh, for exercise, <clears throat> there's plenty of data that exercise is probably more effective for the brain than any other organ. Yes, the brain is the most vascular organ. <clears throat> so we know that exercise provides a more consistent, higher volume of blood to the brain because um, uh, your, your brain needs constant blood supply. And as we get older, especially as we get older, <clears throat> the blood supply of the microvascular should become tenuous. And the most effective way to get blood to the, all of the brain and keep the, what, what they call angiogenesis, growth of vessels going is through exercise. Um, the other thing exercise does is increases your BDNF, which is important for connectivity of neurons by tenfold every time you exercise. And by the way, that's sustained. So it's so yeah, that important. That just for the audience, a BDNF is brain-derived neurotropic factor we've talked about before, and but that's that can actually show cause the uh, amygdala to increase in size on the MR scans, on follow-up scans with BDNF activation. At any age. Yeah. At any yeah. age. It's bewildering. I mean, the, the Harvard study showed that a brisk walk, Framingham, 
A brisk walk, 25 minutes a day, consistently, reduce your chance of Alzheimer's by 45%. Wow. wow. We have people selling pills on TV that haven't shown 1%. Their whole data set is 10 people, and nobody's seen those 10 people or 100 people. There's no data. Exercise reduces, and we think when we start our program, we start with exercise, and here's the exercise program we start with. A morning brisk walk is the best thing you can do in life. Why? It resets your melatonin cortisol pathways, which means you're going to sleep better at night and you're going to be more energetic throughout the day because of that. It resets your metabolism in the morning. It, it, I mean, as far as your mood, vitamin D, as far as exercise, BDNF early in the morning, if you can do anything, start with that. And here's the other part that's beneficial about exercise. Whereas the reward or the dopamine release in better sleep is not gained immediately, the dopamine and release for exercise is immediate. Because you said, I'm going to walk 25 minutes. I got done. There it is. Check. <clears throat> and you feel better. So um, that's the core, the beginning, the nidus, the inception of any lifestyle program. Uh, if you can do it, I know that some people have physical limitations. There are other things you can do. But a morning brisk walk is where you start. And by the way, that also gets you into eating better, sleeping better, stress management, and everything. So exercise is critical. And the types of exercise, um, threefold. Aerobic exercise, critical. By the way, when people come to me and say, oh, doc, I'm fine. I walk the neighborhood. I, I do gardening. That's great. That's meditation. When we say exercise, you got to get short of breath. You don't have to count your pulse and subtract your age and all of that stuff. No. You just have to get short of breath where you have difficulty finishing a sentence. Of course, under your doctor's supervision, making sure you don't have heart problems and all that. The second type of exercise, which is profoundly important, shocking to us, was leg strength. Leg strength is associated with brain size. Now, that data needs to be better clarified, but there's plenty of data already. Um, and I don't mean put weights on your shoulder and do squats, just mini squats or biking or, you know, walking the stairs Bigger legs, bigger, bigger brains. Absolutely. And also, if you're older, we know the number one reason for emergency room visit, falls. The thing that stops falls more than anything else is better, stronger legs. So stronger legs are important. And the third is create a life around your home where you're not sedentary for long periods. You're standing up. If you're watching a show, stand up and watch the show. Do a little foot pedal exerciser. Um, uh, you know, eat uh, around a, a, an island standing up. You don't have to be traditional. Stand up. More standing up, the better. So that's that's important. And more walking and stretching and all that. Unwind stress management. I need to manage the time here. Uh, stress is very important. And here's a surprising thing. There's good stress and bad stress. Good stress is the kind of stress that actually is the very purpose of the brain. Why would you be using 25% of the body's energy and, and putting your brain, your body at risk by sleeping to rejuvenate the, the, the brain because the brain wants to be challenged, wants to think, wants to solve problems. And if it's not doing that, it shrinks. In fact, the number one reason for shrinkage of the brain is when people don't use their brain, either throughout life. The biggest risk factor of dementia, just recent data, was when people had lower education level or didn't ch challenge their brain throughout life. The biggest risk factor. I would have liked it to be food or this. Or, nope, it's brain activity. So challenge your brain throughout life. If you retire, don't retire. Just rewire. Find a new hobby that challenges your visual, spatial, attention, memory, 
push yourself around your passions. Before you had to take classes like histology, which I hated. Now I can take, you know, pottery class or, you know, guitar class or, or you know, dance class or those challenge your brain and they grow your brain. Exercise and, and mental activity grows. So that's positive stress. Negative stress is the kind of activities, behaviors, and thoughts that are not driven by your purpose, don't have a clear direction, don't have clear victories. They're just going on and on and on. Tension is building on and on and on. The survivor, uh, you know, the, um, the sympathetic system is on at a low grade level. So that's actually shrinking the brain. So if you have bad stressors, identify them specifically. Remember SMART goals? And then delegate, reduce, and eliminate them over time because those bad stressors can significantly shrink your brain. But we just live with them as if, oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm okay with it. If you're not, identify them specifically, reduce, eliminate, and delegate. And where you can't do that, find the language that finds a purpose for them. And then we'll f- and then focus on the positive stress. Sleep, R, restorative sleep, not just sleep. R is for restorative sleep, neuro, R is for restorative That means seven to eight hours of deep sleep where you're going through those phases of sleep four to five times. That means spend money, not on some spa, make your bedroom your spa, no light. And when you do turn on the light at night, it should be red light or low light, not blue light or bright light because it's going to turn on the circadian clock. Work on eliminating sound in your room, soundproof it. Or if you have running thoughts, have white noise that's compatible to you. Lower temperature in the room helps. And, and then, and, and so start investing on sleep because sleep is profoundly important. That's where your brain reorganizes, re, re, recategorizes memories for long term. And that's where the brain actually cleanses itself significantly. And when people don't get good sleep on a chronic basis, their brains shrink because the glial cells, the support or janitor cells, when they don't sleep, they start eating away the good brain. So sleep is that important. And then last one, optimize is what I talked about, which is positive stress. Make your life around purposes. Find purposes that really give you joy, but also challenge you and push you. Because if it's repetitive, it's not pushing you. So find, learn new musical instrument, learn a new group, learn book clubs, or find book clubs to, to join, lead in a non-for-profits, Multiple things that challenge your brain. Take classes that you always wanted and that pushes you so much that that's the number one variable to connecting the brain. Now, what does that mean? You have 87 billion neurons. Each of them can make a couple of connections or as many as 30,000 connections per neuron. And what determines that connection is mental activity. We did a um, a meta-analysis with uh, Dilip Jeste. I call him the most powerful scientist there is. Uh, He's in uh, Stein Aging Institute. He was the head of um, 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 NIH, um, psychiatric division. And uh, what we found successful cognitive aging had to do basically around this. Find your purpose and push your brain. And that creates redundancy of connectivity at a 30,000 fold. Nothing can come close to that. So that's it. That's that's free. All of that is free. You don't have to worry, worry about whole food plant based. That's that's free. By the way, people who say it's expensive, it's not. Potatoes and beans and and greens are not expensive. So we just have to be organized. Exercise is free. Stress management is free. Sleep is free. And mental activity is free. Those five things will have so much power 
to not just help you avoid Alzheimer's and stroke and dementia and heart disease and all that, but continually grow your brain capacity throughout life, to continually grow your focus throughout life. And by doing so, you don't have to pay anybody, including us. Yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful concept of, of those ideas there. And, and not to be cynical, but that may be the problem that, that this doesn't cost more. So, so big drug companies and you know, special interests that make a lot of money producing insulin or other things yeah. might, uh, you know, you could write an insulin prescription in a minute, but it takes you know, 20 minutes to explain a lifestyle program or longer to a patient. Yeah. And the, the healthcare system needs to needs to adjust to that because it's this is really much more cost effective and ultimately it's better for better for the patient. Now um, your program is available both on site if people are in the Loma Linda area, they can come, but they can also do it online, I understand. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, we, you can find us on social media as Sherzai MD. You can see my name there, or um, uh, with the Brain Health Revolution, uh, the Brain Health Revolution um, on social media. But we have a community, um, uh, the Brain Health Revolution, on um, MightyNetworks.co. If you go there, um, look for uh, Brain Health Revolution. We <clears throat> we're helping. We're very proud that we actually won the National Academy of Medicine Innovative Award for our research, our work in the communities. Now we want to build this capacity within communities um, 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 throughout the world. In fact, it's the biggest brain health initiative in, in the world in, in many ways. And uh, would love um, you guys to be involved and to spread it in your communities, because I think this will have the most profound effect on public health more than anything else. Yeah, that, that that's beautiful. And we're going to link to all those in the show notes as well. So people can access them and we'll have some additional information on that. But uh Dean, I want to thank you so much for taking an hour today and spending time with us and telling us about the the, the beautiful work that, that you are doing there. Thank you so much. It's wonderful, wonderful to be connected to you. And I think we're close by. So uh, we're about uh, 60 miles apart. Looking forward to getting together. <laughs> thank you so much. No, this is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking of it because of something you have seen here. If you find this to be of value of you, please hit that like button and subscribe to support the work we do on this channel. Also, we take your suggestions and advice very seriously. Please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching and we'll hope to see you next time!